Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a very warm welcome to you today, the second Sunday of Advent. And um, one of the great themes of Advent is the great judgment or the last day. And uh, last week in the Collect, we prayed, um, we prayed, and every week we confess in the Nicene Creed here that he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead. However, it's really easy to forget it and to live our lives as if Jesus is never coming back at all. That really all of this talk of the second coming is just crazy talk. I remember uh, about um, six or seven years ago during the financial crisis, I w- was meeting with a a guy whose uh, mother was a deacon actually in the church, Um, but he was going to jail for uh, embezzlement, and he was out on bail, and we were meeting together, and uh, and he said to me, you know, uh, we were meeting, this must have been like in July, and he said, you know what, I wish more than anything by August, because this is when he was going to face sentencing, and I said, well, maybe that, you know, you get off easy and, and have some community service, and he said, no, that's not going to happen. I'm definitely going to jail. He said, uh, what I hope that happens by August is that Jesus comes back and uh, saves me from all of this. To which I laughed and said, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because like, there was a part of me that didn't, I'm definitely not getting the Priest of the Year award there. But uh, the, um, there was a part of me, because there's a part of me that doesn't believe it. And the denial of Christ's second return, though, is nothing new. This is the issue, actually, St. Peter is addressing in our epistle reading today, if you'll open it up and take a look and follow with me. But this is the issue that he's dealing with, that Jesus isn't going to return again. There were uh, false teachers that came in and just said, hey, things are going on forever. And St. Peter articulates this argument, their argument, earlier in this same chapter in verses 3 and 4. He writes, know uh, this first of all, that in the last days, and we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, But uh, in these last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You know, a big part of the unbelief in the second coming of Jesus is our misunderstanding of how God actually works in time. Physicists are beginning to understand that we actually haven't got a clue as to what we're talking about when it comes to the meaning of time. But nevertheless, throughout our existence, we have devised ways of keeping and measuring time. And then time begins to determine the course of our lives. And as New Yorkers, I think we can all relate to this. We eventually become bound up in time and we actually become slaves to it. And we actually begin to believe that God and his actions are therefore bound to our understanding of time as well. As sinners, we can't help it. In part because Jesus is the one who promises, I'm coming soon. You know, we connect that with our understanding of time. Jesus is the one who says, I'm coming quickly. And we connect that with our understanding of time. And here we are almost 2,000 years later. And you're like, what do you mean quickly? What do you mean soon? And it's hard, you know, as we, we, we do another Advent and another Advent. It's hard not to feel the judgment of the world as they compare us, the church, and our wait for the second return of Jesus with great expectation. 
So they compare us to sort of like Linus in the pumpkin patch, awaiting the coming of the great pumpkin that actually never seems to show up. But this is my first point, and it's very important. So often we ignore the profound Christian truth of Christ's second coming. This is one of the great purposes of Advent, to remind you that he is coming again. But we ignore this second return, we actually deny it in our lives, because we have taken God, the creator of time, and constrained him to it. We constrain God to a 24-hour obligation, and if he hasn't returned yet, well, well, maybe he's not coming back at all. But this is a big thing, and, and we constrain God to our understanding of time. Think about it, just for a second. The God who is eternally present in our past, right now, and in our future, as the one who is, who was, and is, and is to come, we constrain him instead of understanding that God actually graciously sits above and beyond all time in an eternity for what all time for where all time is actually present right now this is a big thing and it's hard to wrap your mind around but but existentially where the rubber hits the road of our lives cuz that can get turned into hypothetics and and um really quick in kind of an abstraction but where it hits the road in your life i think another reason why we do not believe in the second coming of christ why we deny it in our lives and it's a, it, it, it's, it's because so much of our life is filled with judgment where we're at. You know, it's because so much of our life is filled with this idea of who we are versus who we thought we should be or who we are with what someone else thought we should be. I remember when I was first ordained a priest and a friend of my father said to me, congratulations on becoming a reverend. Now, is this just some sort of hobby like before you go and get a real job? You know, ha <laughs> single tear. I still hear his voice in my head all the time. But we all have that. You know, you should be married by now. Oh, you should be a VP at your firm by now. Oh, man, you see what Sandra's doing on Facebook? She's having an amazing time. What's the matter with you? Melina has turned me on to a Swiss-born English philosopher named Alan de Baton. And he makes this point of constant judgment in our lives in a short lecture that he delivered at Oxford entitled, A Kinder, Gentler Philosophy of Success. And he argues in this talk that people in the past were in touch with great wealth and genius. But it has only been within the last 80 years that we actually believe we can obtain it. I mean, the French royal family was incredibly wealthy. The Russian royal family was incredibly wealthy. But no one in France thought, you know what, someday I'm going to be just like the French royal family. You know, someday I'm going to obtain the wealth of the royal family of Spain. No, it's only within the last 80 years that we actually believe that we can fulfill our dreams and be who we want to be. And so De Baton goes on to point out that if you go to the self-help sections of the bookstores across the West, they are filled with two types of books. The first is how to achieve your dreams. And the second is how to cope with the depression I'm experiencing because I haven't attained my dreams. 
And the pharmaceutical industry, I would argue, the pharmaceutical industrial complex in this country is making a fortune off our desire to numb the pain of the constant judgment we are experiencing for not achieving our dreams. So because we experience so much judgment as it is in life, to deal with this image of Jesus coming back and destroying everything with fire and then exposing all things we did or didn't do. I mean, gosh, I just can't deal with that right now. I mean, Sandra's having an amazing time on Facebook. I didn't make the NFL yet, you know. Jesus, just stay away. You know, don't ever come back. However, St. Peter won't let this idea of the second coming go because it makes us uncomfortable. And so he gives the church and all of us a profound insight, and it's a gracious insight, and it begins to reorient our understanding of the second coming. Notice what he writes in our epistle today. He says, God's seeming slowness to act on our timetable is not really slowness at all. Rather, it is a demonstration of his patience, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should hear the gospel and reach a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And this is my second point. The second coming has not occurred yet because God is actually patient with the world. God is actually at work through his Holy Spirit in his church, you and I, to share the gospel and bring all people to Christ. Or maybe the second coming hasn't happened yet because he is at work and has brought you here today to bring you to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But this is a sign of his great patience and graciousness with the world. For there is only one name under heaven given for health and salvation, and that is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when our identity is in Jesus, and we need to be reminded of this all the time, we need to be reminded of this daily, but when our identity is in Jesus, we can reconcile with who we are, with who we ought to be. We can begin to do that because in Jesus, who you are and who you thought you ought to be, are both atoned for and forgiven. And so with God's patience and salvation as our lens, when we begin to look at 2 Peter, we can affirm with confidence, not deny it or live in fear of it, that time as we know it will come to an end. St. Peter calls the end the day of the Lord. And he does this specifically because there's so many false teachers in this church in Asia Minor that he is trying to demonstrate that he has continuity with Judaism. And so in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was a future day. It's spoken about in the prophet Amos, the prophet Micah, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah. But the day of the Lord was a future time when God would vindicate his holy name bringing judgment on those outside of his covenant, and gather his people into a new kingdom of righteousness and peace. So as frightful as this sounds, as frightful as this fiery day may be, as Christians we wait for it with eager expectation, and we endure and persevere with great hope for that day to arrive, because we know, as St. Peter writes, The end of the old doesn't mean better. 
The end of the old means the beginning of something new, where righteousness is at home. And this is my third point. As Christians, we look forward to that last day because we have been rooted in the hope and the promise given to us in the cross. Christ and him crucified. As Christians, we move forward in time by looking backwards to that great event, that first day of the Lord, when Christ, who represented all humanity, was consumed by God's wrath, and God vindicated his name by raising Jesus from the dead on the third day, and then by the work of the Holy Spirit, gathers all of us, his new people, into a kingdom that has already come, yet not yet. And we look forward to that day because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because we know because of his death and resurrection that when you stand before the throne of judgment on that last day, what you will receive is not condemnation, but salvation. And you will receive salvation not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. For you have been washed with water in the word. You have been nourished with his body and blood. And this becomes the enabling word for you to strive to be found by him at peace. Without spot or blemish. So as we go forward, prepare to meet your king. Prepare to meet your king. For you stand at the threshold of a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is found. And it is all yours by faith now. However soon, very soon, for Christ our King will return quickly. What is yours by faith now will be by sight and for eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.